We are ready to roll with Living the God Life podcast today, and it is starting to get real nice out up here in Minnesota. Um, back at my parents' place today, the turkeys are starting to strut. That's getting everyone excited. I know they're strutting around the whole state. We're going to go do some turkey scouting this weekend um, in southeast Minnesota because we will be hunting the bee season. Um, so we're super excited. We're, we're getting ready for that turkey season to come up, go check around, see what's strutting, see what's, uh, see what patterns they're doing down there. Um, go down there for the weekend and just kind of hang out and watch some turkeys go along, do some dog training, a bunch of just fun outdoor stuff. So it'll be, uh, it'll be a lot of fun this weekend. I'm super excited to get down there, but to, uh, Go to our sponsors today. We are brought to you by Bourbon Media, and I'll give them a second here. If you're a small business owner in the outdoor industry, we get it. The words digital marketing can be intimidating. You're a grunt work, sweat it out, bust your chops kind of person who's addicted to progress and put all of your time and energy into operating your business. We at Bourbon Media can help you push it even further. We're digital marketing experts. I'm talking web development, content creation, social media management, SEO, paid advertising, the whole nine yards. And as fellow outdoorsmen, we know the industry. Keep your business up to date and expand your reach with digital marketing that is directed at your core market. We are Bourbon Media. Cheers to progression. And that wraps things up for Bourbon Media. If you haven't checked out their subscription websites, I've said it once and I'll say it again that they are something you guys need to look over um, just because of the quality they they don't down their quality um, no matter if it's a subscription or if it's a personal website they're building for you it's going to be the same exact quality at a lot cheaper price it's a lot easier for small guide services and outfitters to you know really start that page up because now you're looking at everybody that's online that's how you're finding things nowadays so you want to have that site up and available um, for your clients. Also, we are brought to you by Mallard Bay, which, you know, is a great thing for another smaller out, outfitters, guide services, people that might not have a website. Um, it's a great way to, you know, just go put your name on there and uh, book clients through there. And they've done a phenomenal job. You can really do it anywhere in the country, um, no matter it's hunting, fishing, whatever it is. It's an all-around place to uh, get your name out there. So highly recommend checking them out as well. Um, then since we're talking about turkey hunting, uh, we are brought to you also by Pacific Calls, where they are just knocking it out of the park with their diaphragm calls, slate calls, um, and they're just getting ready for the year. So you're going to want to make sure to go check out some of their calls. Their calls are awesome. That's what I'll be running, and uh, I would highly recommend that uh you know you take a peek on what they got uh just some really solid calls they have been doing quite a bit on instagram to you know show you guys those calls and what they can what they can do and how they sound and it's just an all-around great spot to uh find out what they have going on and uh, i would highly recommend it now for chasing file outfitters you're also going to want to go check us out before our books close now we're getting a lot of people in those prime dates right now so if you do want a prime date november 
you know, early October, stuff like that, you're going to want to make sure to go get on that immediately. We are starting to book up. So that's one of the things that you're not going to want to wait till the season starts or until game fair because your spot might already be taken the weekend that you could go. So highly recommend going to do that now before everyone else starts to get the bug and sees that high jump of bookings um, towards that May-June area. Because you want to be prepared if you're going to want to do it. So go check us out. And today we have Ben on from Dive Bomb Canada. My main man. I love Benny. He's so much fun to talk to. It's always, you know, good to hear from uh, the other side of the border and just see what he's got going on. We we dig into it all, man. We dig into, uh, you know, what, what they got for Snow Goose something right now. He's really talking about this is like the earliest they've ever seen him up there. Um and just really talking about kind of what what stuff they're going to be doing for snow goose hunting this spring, as well as what Dive Bomb Canada's got going on. And if you are from Canada, you know some of the stuff might be on wait because they can't they can't move product now just because of the limited um, availability availability of certain stuff. So. If you're listening to that, it kind of gives you a little insight about uh, what's going on in Canada, as well as dog training, man. We dig into it. We dig into everything that um, you think about when you're talking about hunt tests, field trials, talking about British um, compared to American. Also, we uh, dig into, you know, what his point of view is on shot collars. Um, He personally does not use them. Doesn't mean they're bad thing to use um i use one you know just for different things but he talks about hey if you don't think i can do this with a shot collar um if you don't think i can do something with a shot collar you're, you're mistaken it might take me a little bit more but i can do it and we just dig into stuff like that on you know how he works his dogs without that shot collar when they start de-cheating and things like that and so we really cover it all from, you know, he's in his puppy stage right now. Uh, just got a new pup, co-owns it, and uh, with his three other dogs, we talk about that. You know, is it right to hunt your first season? Is it not? You know, different kind of stuff that you might not think about as your first dog. And everybody wants to get him in the field right away. And now I'm in the same boat. So we really dig into that on, okay, is it a good time to bring your dog out into the field for its first hunt um its first year when it's nine ten months old or is it good you know just wait a year and don't create those bad habits maybe have the dog sit in the blind with you and never go retrieve a bird it's just like bad habits that you might be fighting the rest of your life and all dogs are different so you really got to play into that as well on okay is my dog really doing great and you know can i go run her over a pigeon hunt and she does really Really awesome with the kind of group that we're going to be running all year long. So that's the other thing to think about uh, when you bring a new dog into this world and a new dog is going to be going into your first hunting season. So just kind of the, some some of the stuff that you might want to hear as a first-time dog owner. Um, and just so much fun just bullshitting with Benny. So I had an absolute blast. I know you guys will really enjoy this one. He's always a, always a pleasure to talk to, and I can't wait for our next conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy all righty and we are live 
with Ben from Dive Bomb Canada, and we are ready to roll with living the guide life today. So, Ben, how's it going? Good, man. You? Good. Heard the yeah. Toronto Sportsman Show was good for you? Yeah, it was good. It was busy. My wife and I were running the booth for four days, and I think uh, Saturday, after Saturday, the long day, uh, by the time we got back, after we had cleaned up, show ended at 7, just buttoned everything up, went out for something quick to eat. Uh, I was out cold by 9 o'clock, and I didn't wake up till the alarm went off at 8 the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Because how far away is that show from you guys? It was a four-hour flight. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's it would be the equivalent of driving from, let's say, well, we'll use like Billings, Montana. Yeah. Um, guessing probably Detroit. Okay. Wow. Not a little longer because of the yeah. the Great Lakes being up in Ontario. It takes a bit longer. Like it's to yeah. drive Alberta to Ontario. Is, do it in two or three days. But if you eight hour days, you're you're split four. Two of those days is in Ontario. Okay. I got you. And so did you have to like pack? a bunch of like product to bring over there and like how that all work to get all that stuff over there. Yeah. I just packed like, you know, the, the four poses and the V2, uh, the V2, V2F. And then the, I took V2 AFs um, and the black and whites. And I just put one of each pose and I kind of packed that uh, some dry line stuff, apparel and just shipped two boxes um, from the warehouse to the, exhibition place where it was being the event was being held okay uh ups delivered it picked it up there and then they picked it up on monday to ship it back out here to alberta okay perfect yeah way cheaper than trying to put it on a plane yeah oh i can imagine yeah because i was wondering if you were driving out there how that all went down because like a four-hour flight for us is like i mean from like minnesota to florida and yeah, it'd be that's like the same. Yeah, that's like a 24-hour drive or something. 20, 20 oh. 24 hour drive. Yeah, I think the drive is closer to 36 hours, if I'm not mistaken. I've never done the drive. Jeez. Every yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, my folks have driven it a couple of times. Uh, but and I but friends do it. I have yet to. <laughs> uh it's it's those Great Lakes, man. Northern Ontario. Yeah. Northern Ontario just goes and goes yeah. and goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i can imagine but dude let's uh so how's the snow goose hunting you were talking about you're doing some scouting some hunting. yeah uh those are up early snows snows have arrived i don't know when the podcast will air but the the snows are gonna arrive or they have ar- arrived it's those first push those psycho yeah. adults um yeah. they're I, I went out yesterday with a couple buddies and like man we shot six birds and you'd have thought we killed limit like our three we have a we have in the concept in the spring season we have a limit still so we have the oh, same okay. limit as we do in the fall it's 50 snows you'd have thought we shot our 150 the way we behaved when those six and it was like cupped up coming into the dive bomb it was man it was unbelievable um that was it we got yeah. one flight yeah with it was warmer weather it was like 72 degrees oh wow. about a I don't know the conversion. I'm going to say probably 10, five to 10 mile an hour wind. Yeah. Like the socks were dancing. It was doing yeah. everything. So I'm like, we're going to get a little bit of a push. Some migrators, we were right, you know, in between water and, 
anyways, it that didn't play out. But the duck show that we got, uh, we it was probably about two hours, and we just watched. Like it was every time you turn around to look behind you, it was just a twenty ducks, twenty ducks, yeah. twenty ducks. There was at the end of the day uh, when they stopped flying. If there wasn't six thousand ducks, there wasn't a duck inside of a hundred yards of our decoy spread. <laughs> And most of them were pintails. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my yeah, god. yeah, that would that would be intense. Yeah, like this is the earliest you guys have. Like, is this like some of the earliest you've seen snow geese jump up there? Yeah, for me, this is probably the earliest that I've seen them, or that I've hunted for sure. Um, one of the guys I was hunting with said that he's hunted them uh, somewhere around the 18th of March. Our season opens on the 15th. Um, but we, uh, like right where I'm at on a Montana border to, well, I'm in Brooks and then north of that by like an hour, that whole stretch has, we haven't had snow in weeks. Um, like I've, I've had just down the road, there's the spring migration coming back. There's a cornfield down the road with cows in it. There's probably 10,000 Canada's that were in it for the most of, for the last probably week of February, two weeks of February into the first two weeks of March. Yeah. It was deafening. You step outside. It's like, oh man. Um, and I, naturally I have to do the right thing. You got to call the landowner, ask if he, if they're bugging them because they're eating the crop and I get yeah. a permit. I can get a permit so we can get them out of there, but yeah. he didn't want to shoot them with the cows in there. So which is fair. Uh, so you can, you can get a permit to shoot them in the spring out there. You can get a, they call it a depredation permit. Um, there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through the big thing is in this instance uh it's used more so i uh, shouldn't say that because the season usually lines up but the idea of it is more so on like the big game with elk um them just over towards the mountains a lot of landowners have issues with elk coming in and eating the crop and stuff uh hay and straw whatever for their cows but you can get them for birds and feedlots will get them um caveat is that i've come to find out you can't use decoys you can't use calls you can't wear camo um and the meat is not allowed to leave the premise Hmm. which is odd to me but anyways it's uh but i just called him because i'm you know i'm on a texting relationship he's a literal neighbor yeah was you know if they're in there because it doesn't take long for that many Canada's to start picking all the corn that you're expecting your cattle to eat. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so he said, no, we're, they were moving the heifers out and they still had a few, they were leaving a few head in there, but he said, it's not a big deal. They're pretty much done in there for corn. So yeah. I, I disagree because they're <laughs> tonight. There's probably, I don't know, three, 4,000 snow geese in there. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> So they don't allow you to take the meat from it? Is that the same with like elk too? Is it like a land? I don't know how it works on the big game side of things. I just looked at it on the waterfowl side yeah. and it says clear as day, the Alberta legislation or the Alberta rules that the meat is not allowed to leave the property. And I have had friends uh, that have shot under someone else's depredation permit at feedlots uh, in yeah. years past. And it was the same thing for them. Um, meat can't leave the, which it doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't know what the rash, there's obviously a reason for it. I yeah. just don't know what that reason is. Um, but yeah, it, to me, it's like, man, I'm, I'm shooting 
especially in the feedlots. If I'm shooting fat greenheads, I want to pluck those things. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's prime. That's prime cooking right there. Oh man, they've been sitting and eating corn all all winter. Like, oh yeah, flying less than I don't know. Some of them fly less than forty five seconds from water to feed. They're fat oh, yeah. as hell. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's weird. Because I mean, like in Minnesota, farmers can get like permits to shoot like a hundred geese or something. I think I remember talking to a farmer about that in the spring. Like if they're just tearing up like crops during the spring, they can go shoot a hundred. But I don't know like the whole logistics on it. I just know that he was talking a limit on it. Yeah. They like give you like only a certain amount of tags. So like you can only go shoot a hundred geese or something. Yeah, see, for us, there's no tags. Like, it's just keep shooting until you run out of ammo. Oh, no. <laughs> but you can't leave the properties with the, with the meat. So, all right. Okay. <laughs> Go yeah. smash out, like, 200 geese and just leave them just scattered everywhere. Well, and that, so, and that was when I talked to him and I told him, like, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to take the meat. However, what my thought was, if, if he wanted me to help him out, was I was going to put him in a pile at the corner of the field. And there's a perfect sight line off the fence line. I'd go put a coyote call out and yeah. just start whacking coyotes on top of it while he's yeah. got cows sitting in the field. But yeah. yeah, it was knowing his calving schedule now, I know not to even bother bugging him until yeah. probably about another week to two weeks when the cows are out. Yeah. So this year it's going to suck because we'll probably have most of the snows pushed through by then. But uh, on a typical year, born in there again next year. So. Hopefully we can get into them. Yeah. Because how long is that like span of geese you guys have? Typically the way the outfitters kind of roll for those guys that start and chase them the whole season, they usually book about four to six weeks worth of clients if they can fill up their books. Um, so typically the typical start date kind of circled on everyone's calendar is about April 1st. That's usually when they show up. Um. Okay. And then you've got till like if you're running into that second week of May, you're pretty you're pushing it. Yeah. Um, but that's usually how it goes. So this year it's going to be much the same. I know there's still quite a bit of snow, like three hours north of me. Yeah. Um, it's melting, uh, but there's it's going to be wet. It's going to be a mud pit up there, which typically results in better snow goose hunting. I found just they have sheet water to sit in as opposed to you know the big water's still frozen like yeah i know on the 15th of march when the ice fishing season closed a friend of mine said there was over 30 inches of ice still on the big water oh it's that's gonna take a while to melt i mean yeah 72 degrees yesterday it, plus we've now had a bunch of wind coming through the last well, all today and then m- most this weekend we're gonna have wind off and on yeah uh it'll it'll melt pretty quick but 30 inches still takes a while yeah oh 100%. so like yeah. we're all of a good majority of our small ponds here are on thought, but there's still a few of them left. And like all of our lakes are so frozen over. I don't know how much ice is really on them. I'd say, I'd say we probably have like, I don't know, 15 inches of ice still left would be my guess. Yeah, it's, it'll take a bit then. Yeah. So, I, uh, it's it's been a wild year across the prairies up here um yeah a friend of mine was just he just crossed the border back into canada a couple hours ago into manitoba and he's like man and it's wet and there's still a pile of snow 
Yeah. Um, Manitoba is going to put out a lot of ducks this year based on what I have heard from not only him, other guys, just on the pure water level that's going to be there. Yeah. Um, seasonal wetlands and whatnot. I've got like Southern Alberta. There's next to nothing for seasonal wetlands like that early, yeah. you know, sheet water. Um, but, and, and then like Saskatchewan's got it. I know anything West of, or excuse me, East of like Saskatoon, Regina yeah. is some of them. They still got two and a half, three feet of snow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a good chunk. I mean, we, we didn't get a ton of snow where I'm at this year, but I know like my girlfriend lives up in Fargo and they had just a pile down of it. Like over in that North Dakota area, they had a ton of snow. That which, which is good because, yeah, Saskatchewan, North Dakota, Manitoba are probably going to carry the weight, and maybe Northern Alberta carry yeah. the weight for ducks this year. Southern Alberta, we've got our, you know, the wetlands will be there. We've got a, a number of them with ducks unlimited projects and things like yeah. that. But just in terms of that early sheet water stuff, they're going to just push. They'll find it somewhere else. Yeah. For the Ducks Unlimited projects up there, how how do they work? Because I know, like, in Minnesota, our, like, whole thing is, like, nesting in the spring, but then, like, nobody does anything for the fall. Like, all of our, like, public lands and, like, stuff like that, like, nobody hunts them because, like, they're not good. They, like, don't put any effort into, like, ducks coming down, migrating. They just focus on, like, the spring. It's a lot of that here um like you know i'm friends with several guys um through southern alberta specifically that their job is whether it's restoration or maintenance um a lot of their stuff is just restoring right now the directives kind of restore existing wetlands instead of build new ones okay the wetlands here they're very the focus is how um how effective are they going to be how well are they going to produce ducks out of it um in the in the in the spring but in the fall they are great for staging um i don't hunt a ton of water i say every year i'm going to hunt more just simply for the dogs more than anything this year with the price of fuel i probably will hunt a little bit more water because then i don't have to scout (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's getting ridiculous but a lot of them like that's Aging for them when they yeah. when they get here, that's where they're like they're they're, they're spots here, man. And I'm not trying to blow smoke, like guys. The Canada is exactly what everybody says it is. Yeah. Like, there's what you go by water, man, and there's it's black. Like, you, yeah. like it's just this whole body of water is black, and it's like okay, well, right. Like the problem, like most guys here don't hunt water. Um, and when I say I'm going to hunt water, I mean more of the smaller ponds. Yeah. There's some bigger water. Um, most guys just don't hunt water. One, because we're so spoiled with the opportunities in the field. Yeah. And two, too much work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's way easier to drive into a wheat field than it is to, you know, lug oh, yeah. decoys down a slough. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. You're, what's the gas prices like there? <sighs> I knew you were going to ask me that. I'm going to just pull up what the conversion is because I have no idea what it is per gallon. Um, uh, it's outrageous though. I, yeah. uh, yeah. Okay. So 
your one gallon, one gallon is equal to like three liters. So give or take. So if I say, so three liters, I'm paying, I'm paying almost five ish, five fifty a gallon right now, Canadian. <laughs> oh my God, dude. Oh my like God. Man. <laughs> every one of the every one of the guys I talk to, we all get fired up about it. Like I'm in Alberta, it's oil country. And the joke yeah. is, it's like, man, I wish we had just a bunch of oil in the ground somewhere <laughs> close by that we didn't have to purchase from another country. I just, <laughs> uh, dude, so, oh, that's terrible. I mean, we we got up to four dollars here, and now we're back at three eighty three. Is the man, what I give for that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like so. I actually went ahead and I, I um I used to drive 2019 F-150. Yeah, with co with COVID, vehicles like truck prices were going through the roof. Guys were paying crazy amounts of money for used trucks. Yeah, so I tr- sold my truck for more than what I what I owed on it, and I had put in two years. I put eighty three thousand kilometers, which is somewhere around fifty thousand miles, give or take. Okay, yeah. in two years and i use that truck for scouting and hunting most of the time um and then like dog training stuff but it uh i sold it i ended up buying an old 07 gmc just yeah. to haul deer and haul birds and decoys and stuff and then i i drive around now in a little uh, uh honda crv you have to <laughs> man it's awesome on fuel <laughs> and i can get into everything because it's just that little bit higher yeah years years ago i had a toyota corolla and i that thing up and i feel so sorry for the lady that bought it from me because the places that car went a car should not go <laughs> oh i gotta love it because dude i like i'm even because i drive uh ford f-150 and i'm like i gotta buy like a beater car or something Something that gets better fucking gas mileage than this because I'm getting like 15 miles to the gallon right now. Yeah. Well, that, that was my thing. Like, yeah. You know, when I go into town to do the grocery shopping or grab dog food or, yeah. or any of that stuff, or even like just to go over to the warehouse. Yeah. Like, I don't need a half ton to drive from my yeah. house to the warehouse. Um, yeah. Look for it. Look for like, I bought an old three it's an 03 crv and for its vintage it's a fully loaded yeah. like leather seats sunroof heated seats <laughs> has a remote start in it like man you can't okay, took, yeah like, unreal <laughs> <laughs> that that thing is going to go places that like it's it opens the door for me i mean oh yeah i, I like you know it's it's so much cheaper and it just allows honestly with the price of gas it now allows me to hunt going into next year it's going to allow me to hunt more because i'm not spending a ton on fuel scouting yeah yeah and that's the whole thing with me i'm like i'm spending all this money on gas in my truck and like if i go buy something that gets i mean even 25 miles to the gallon that's a game changer oh especially for you know like the guys that are guiding the guys that are running an outfit like you like man it's I, I, you know, th- there is some money, obviously you're not going to do it to not make money, but yeah. the gas prices that's going to cut into profit and it's, like, Oh yeah. You know, it kills you. Yeah. I mean, you got to pay guys for scouting for gas and then you got to fucking, yeah, it's, 
it's not ideal because I'm like, shit, I got to figure out how I'm going to charge for next year just because of the gas. Like, I, uh, like 10 bucks a person or whatever it is, just because gas is just fucking insane. I, I talk to, um, and if you, you watch YouTube at all, any Canada hunting, like Claudio Angaro, mm-hmm. um, on YouTube, like, so he's a good friend of mine. And I've talked to him on the phone quite a bit because he runs CRVs. Yeah. And he was saying to me, man, like, it's cheaper for him. The way, way typically it operates up here, guys show up, they use their truck outfitter pays the gas for the scouts and the and the guides and whatever yeah he said it was cheaper for him to buy crvs and and pay the fuel and any repairs on a crv than it is to pay the gas on his guides running their trucks yeah oh i believe it so i mean when you 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 start listening to guys like that that are hunting as much as they are and are running yeah. a successful business and that's he convinced me to get into a crv he's like man you're gonna love it yeah, I got it. Took it for like a bit of a drive. I just texted, said, "Man, this was the best decision ever." Said, Told you. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. I mean, you just gotta figure out what works because something's gotta something's gotta switch because it's just the gas is terrible. I mean, yeah. terrible. It's a shame you guys don't have a bunch of oil too. I mean, you would think <laughs> you would think we'd have oil somewhere, but I just can't figure out where. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't know anywhere in the states that's got oil. <laughs> Never mind all of it that's sitting in warehouses. But anyways, oh my god, like, it, it is what it is. It's not like we're closing pipelines or anything, so we're all good. Uh, we just can't build them up here, but whatever. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> terrible. But dude, so like you were talking, the snow goose feed you hunted was like a thousand. Have you started seeing more since then? I could have shot him off my deck. My wife came home a little early from work and she's like, I went to go get the gun. And then she's like, don't even think about it. I'm like, okay. But just because we, we do like where we're at, like I've got eight acres, but there, there is some neighbors close by. And then, so I let, I let these geese fly by, send a couple Snapchats to some buddies. Like, I mean, they weren't by any means finishing birds. They were inside yeah. at 60 yards. Yeah. I got to touch them. <laughs> and, uh, and all of a sudden i'm standing there, there watching them and they're going into the field like just down the road and all of a sudden i just hear shots going off my neighbor texts me and goes i got him <laughs> he ended up he sat out there he ended up past shooting he got eight of them out of his yard oh just my God. shooting oh. <laughs> that's awesome uh, so i just i looked at my wife and i'm like tomorrow i'm camped out on the deck waiting because i know their flight path now and if i have to i'm gonna go sit on the roof i'm gonna wear black to blend in with the shingles and i'm just gonna let them have it oh yeah you have to i always thought about doing that like at my parents place but they live like in the city limits so like you can only shoot a bow and i was like "Ah, dude these bow shoot them yeah dude they're literally flying like 10 yards over my parents house and i'm like if i could just lay in black and just fucking just smoke these things it'd be so easy you could line up like 20 guys and you'd have your 20 man limit no problem like oh like i just was sitting there tonight and like with that strong wind i'd have just waited till they just got past me just because they're gonna have to ride that wind back but like i just looked at my wife and i was like you know how many bands you probably just cost me because this is the only way you shoot bands Dude, uh some dude on my snapchat um he was running around picking up like wound like the avian flu or whatever he was picking up like um like deceased birds 
picked up 22 in a band. That's all right. He just drove drove around with his dog, and his dog was just running in the field, just grabbing him up in North Dakota. And then he's like, oh, I got a band on one of them. (laughs) Man, that avian avian flu. Yeah. That's some, like, where we're at, we're shooting Pacific Flyway birds. I mean, I'm sure there's been a little bit of mix down in that, like, Arizona through the Gulf kind of thing down in there. But, man. Oof, I'm that's that's getting pretty serious. Some of the stuff I've been seeing on social media about that. Oh but, yeah, man, good for him to get a band. That's what I was wondering. How many bands are dying just like belly yeah. up in a ditch somewhere? Yeah, because like, like, dude, I mean, there's. I was talking to another buddy of mine who's up in North Dakota, and he's like, they're everywhere, like side of the road, middle uh, of the field, like when they just stand there and their heads just like, like flopping around like that. And just like they, they can't do anything. Like they're just yeah. sitting there and just like squeaking out. It's, I, I, I think this is right now. Yeah, you're gonna have loss. You're gonna see the loss over the summer. Yeah, when they're all sitting up there. And I'm curious to see what this does to the snow goose population. I was talking to one guy that um, he's guiding uh in in north dakota was his friend but anyway he was saying that the you could tell the sick ones when they're yeah. coming in because like their ass is down and their chest's way up yeah but i'm like man if it's you know not to bring covid back up again but if it's anything like covid people could be asymptomatic those birds could be asymptomatic or they could yeah. have it just not showing symptoms yet yeah you know like how many of these birds are infected and then not only on the snow goose side of things, but what is this going to do to specs? What's this going to do to Canada's yeah. all the ducks, cranes, right? Like even turkeys. what's going to be the impact? Even turkeys, yeah, yeah. They're talking about turkeys getting it as well. Like you know, and so and then on top of all that, you know, is this where I'm kind of looking at this? Is this like CWD with deer? Yeah. So what's the impact on humans if we consume it? Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean. Yeah, it's it's not going to be pretty. I think, you know, we've, they've been saying for years we're going to have a bird flu just because of the sheer volume of the snows alone. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of what the flight's like on the way down uh, yeah. in this in this fall. Because, yeah, it's I'm I'm I won't see them really until probably about three weeks when they start getting further north. And then yeah. when I'm up north, kind of chasing them a bit that's when I'll probably start seeing them dead in places. And then, yeah, I'll be yeah. the guy that's sending my dog to try and get them to pick up a check for bands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, well, why not? Band's a band, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. And, like, even if – I wonder if it, like, affects juveniles or adults more. Um, yeah. Because I don't know, like – I don't really know anything about it, to be totally honest. Like – I've seen like three videos and an article. I think Wildfowl and Split Read did a Split yeah. Read made a post. I don't think they've done an article yet, but Wildfowl did one. And the videos I've seen, they're all mature mature adults. So yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's like all I've seen too. Is they're like all just adult birds. So I wonder like how that'll affect hunting is if you're killing off a bunch of adult birds and then next year it's just like got a bunch of stupid ones just running around. I'll be all right with that. They were yeah. they were pretty dumb this this fall. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and like everybody, I always hear like 
everybody say that the snows get stupid when they hit Canada? Is that is there some truth to that? A little bit of truth to that. Um, I think it depends on the flyway. Like that central flyway, yeah. those birds have been pounded from the moment they cleared the trees in Saskatchewan to the moment they hit those trees going north. Yeah. Like, I mean, Arkansas tends to be, from what I've seen and, and guys I've talked to, they kind of shy away from the snows until that February 1. The yeah. specs are done. Everything else, the goose hunters now go out for the snows. Yeah. But are like the birds coming through Alberta, man, they're, they're the birds leaving California. They're going California, um, what is it, Idaho, and then Montana. Montana okay. just got a season this year. Oh, wow. Like a two weeks. They, yeah, they just got a season. It's two weeks. So we're going to, we're going to see a little difference in there just because they're going to potentially yeah. get shot in Montana. Yeah. I don't know how many guys are doing that. Yeah. Um, but they're pretty dumb. Like yeah. it's, they're not anything like they are because it's a different mindset too, right? Down south, it's very, you know, it's just feed, feed, yeah. feed, feed, winter, winter, winter. Now it's, I need to get north, but I got to put food, like, you know, fat on to get up there. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely dumb or dumber here. Seems like, I don't know what happens. They cross that line and, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's a lot easier to kill them up here, I think based yeah. on my experience hunting down in like the Dakotas and talking to outfitters and guys that have been doing it for years and years and years. Yeah. Yeah. So Montana has a season now. I didn't even yeah, know that many snows year. went through there. Oh, oh yeah. All the yeah. California birds hmm. or the majority of the California birds come up through uh, the Boise, Idaho, and then they jump to is it Helena or whatever that is yeah. in Montana. And yeah. then they come then they come up through Montana into into Alberta. So, huh. yeah, we get all the birds that sit in the rice fields. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And like even in California, I mean, I obviously I I don't nor does I don't know that anybody knows. But the the main guy that I follow, the main group that I, um, account that I follow is the White Bros. Yeah, um, and those guys like they're killing snows. They're really good at killing snows. Yeah, and other than that, like I don't you know guys are good at keeping quiet which is perfect like you know yeah. guys keep quiet they don't want their spots getting out there yeah um but i don't know of anybody really beating them up like decoying them I mean, probably guys jump shooting them left yeah. right and center but decoying them in idaho and then this will be the first year guys get to do it in montana so yeah 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 those are like the only guys that i know of too in california and hopefully um i'm going to talk to them next week about it a little bit because his one of the brothers has like a bunch of stuff with they do a bunch of like bull sales and calf calf stuff. Yep. So they're pretty busy on that. But hopefully next week I can kind of bullshit with them about that a little bit. Yeah, that they, man, those guys beat them up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't really know of anyone else in like California that is like huge into it. It's like I feel like it's all like hunt clubs out there. Stuck hunters. Yeah. California seems to be big duck hunters. They love yeah. killing their ducks. Um, there's a marsh not far from me that's actually, um, it's a DU project, but the money for the project came from uh, the San Francisco Ducks Unlimited Committee and their gun club in San Francisco, like back in the 80s. Because hmm. they know that their ducks come out of here. Yeah. So, 
like those boys it's all ducks it's all yeah so there's not and that's the other thing i've learned really quickly at least in the states it seems like you're either a duck hunter or a goose hunter yeah you may dabble in one or the other but you tend to be very like it's very separate and deliberate in what you do yeah um which for me is like Again, I don't want to come off spoiled, but it's like if yeah. I'm setting up in a field, I'm, like, I'm killing ducks, I'm killing geese. Like I did, yeah. right? But I, I get it because of lease land, like leases and yeah. clubs and all that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like to each their own with everything, whether it's Arkansas for guys that strictly hunt geese or strictly hunt flooded timber or whatever it is i feel like when you're kind of in the midwest like where i'm at you get like that mix of both and it's like kind of i mean you do it all but then like california you got your duck hunters and i feel like montana montana i feel like it's more canada like goose hunters like more honker yeah but then you also get like your map you get a pretty good mallard section out there too i think it i think montana i mean i think montana really depends on the weather yeah, I hunted in Montana um, late season. It, it, I mean, there's ducks there. Don't get me yeah. wrong. There's ducks there. Um, but a lot of it, again, it's there's still leases. Yeah. Right? Like, so it, it's, which is a totally different world to me. Like, I'm used yeah. to being told no. Like, there's places, not used to, but there's places you go that you just know you can't get permission. Yeah. But being, like, down there, man like leasing land and all that stuff is just foreign concept. So yeah, yeah I think there's there that Montana, at least um, the area that I was in was very similar to Southern Alberta in the sense of like feedlots and things. Okay. And that seems especially late season, the ducks just go there. Yeah. And most of those feedlots won't let you in because the cows, they don't want to upset the cattle, which is fair. Yeah. Um, but it's like that's what that's what holds the ducks up. That like the amount of birds that sit on feedlots in southern Alberta and I have to assume southern Saskatchewan, North Dakota, Manitoba, Montana, like man, those ducks never leave because they they keep some water open close by yeah. and they get to eat all the corn in the world. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have to. I never realized feedlots were such a big thing until I went and hunted in Texas. And then watching all the feedlots down there with all the ducks, I'm like, holy shit. Like, they do that? And he's like, Toby was like, yeah, this is like fucking, it gets crazy. Man, it's like, I I don't remember if I mentioned this the last time I was on, but like Calgary itself, on the Bull River, inside city limits that never leaves the city all winter, there's over a million birds that sit in there. And there's no feedlot in sight. Yeah. You get out to like southern Alberta where there's feedlots everywhere, and it's just thousands of ducks, mallards, just like, and they don't have to, they come off the river. The river never yeah. freezes because it's moving, and they just hit these feedlots. Yeah. And it, it, it's frustrating as a hunter, especially like you get cold weather, you get into November, December. You can find ducks, yeah. but it becomes a lot more difficult. One, because they're flying really late or really early. You gotta you gotta be in the right spot at the right time to see them. And two, you know, a good chunk of them are hitting feedlots that you'll never be able to shoot it. Yeah. Or they hit the field right beside the feedlot. That's the one that really just demoralizes you. It's like, well, you're not on the feedlot because you can see them fly over. You're like, oh, 
and then they hit the one like right next door and the cows are right there you're like really I, really <laughs> there's corn right beside this yeah. field just keep going uh yeah because i mean we don't have any like feedlots that i know of in minnesota like i don't i don't know of one feedlot in minnesota it's just out of country right like yeah it, southern alberta alberta as a whole is just cattle everywhere yeah yeah there's a whole different vibe compared to like where we're at i mean we'll get a little pasture and there'll be 20 cows and solid nah. good. like <laughs> it's not no. too crazy all of our stuff's like milking cows that's like the big thing that we have is like our big dairy like massive dairy farms like massive massive and that's like there's a meat uh meat packing plant and they're the feedlot associated with them i think the number was but my neighbor works there he's one of the management at the feedlot and he said that there's anywhere if i'm mistaken if, if i'm correct in remembering this anywhere from 70 to 80,000 head of cattle in the feedlot at any given time and every day meat packing plant kills like somewhere around 2500 head Jeez. yeah like, <laughs> i mean that's you so you extrapolate what they need for feed for those cows because they're in there for six weeks on yeah. feed to get fat and ready to be butchered yeah like the amount of feed that comes into that feedlot and the ducks like, oh my god i watch them all winter they don't fly yeah. more than 45 seconds from the feedlot to the water yeah heated body of water on the back side of the meat packing plant that they they cycle the water through oh yeah after they wash the cows and stuff like the hides so it never freezes it's warm yeah i mean if i was a duck i wouldn't fly bother oh exactly like we were even i was watching one of the feedlots when i was in texas and you literally see the feed truck come out and then all the ducks would just follow right behind it <laughs> yeah like it's man <laughs> the power of a feedlot the as long as there's water near it, that pot, the feedlot of ducks than any heated pond will ever hold, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. So. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Was your guys like? Do you guys have a lot of duck? Do you guys have a lot of birds in general stay up where you're at, like during the winter? Yeah, it's <clears throat> where I'm at specifically. Area just with the feedlot, there's probably five to ten thousand. Yeah, um, ducks, and then we do. We have Canada's obviously the winter too, um, and then like south of me on the like towards Lethbridge on the Old Man River, like <laughs> Calgary, Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, kind of the three main areas. Um, man, there's so many birds never leave Canada that it's yeah. th that's half the problem. And not it's not to say that it's not because of cold or global warming. Yeah. I mean there was. I think we had a three or four week stretch where it was minus 40 Fahrenheit at yeah. night yeah. and a mallard duck is not leaving. Yeah. <laughs> like that's a damn hardy bird. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, even where we're at too, like if the river, if the river's staying open, birds aren't leaving. Like there's no reason for them to leave. They just go hop into the field right next door, eat, hop back on the river and then they just sit. It's no almost matter. like they're smart too. Like it, yeah. they take turns. They, they're shifts. You can go eat. I'm, we're gonna swim in the water and keep it open, and then yep. you come back and we'll switch out. Like it. Yeah. They just trade all day, and it's yeah. And it, it's nice for us up here because it gives us 
you know, like our season goes, uh, the southern part of the province is September 8th to December 21st. And there's, yeah. I hunted both the opener and I hunted the absolute last day of the season this year and shot limits on both days and yeah. a good chunk of the days in between. We're fortunate because they stick. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, like when it, once it hit my, hits minus 40, you would think those birds would just, I'm out oh, of yeah. here. But I mean, yeah. So it, it gets tough hunting on those, you know, when it is cold run trying to just stay warm yeah. and then two also keep the dog warm but yeah yeah oh i hear you on that i mean for us like it was a pretty pretty weird season for ducks like we never really got many ducks where we're at like we didn't get our good push until like after our season closed well october september was great for ducks on my end like there was I shot a lot of ducks in September and then October. And I had like Asher and those guys came up to hunt with me. I had like five hunts lined up. We found ducks and we were out spotting for ducks. Like Asher and those and his guys were, you know, we all split up. We're scouting, looking at areas. We found them. Problem was you couldn't pattern them. We'd see them in that field that night, put them to bed, be in there in the morning fly or if they did they literally got up off the roost and they went the exact opposite direction and it's like what is going on and it was warm it was so unseasonably warm like there's days we're hunting i'm not even wearing a jacket in late october i'm just wearing a sweater yeah so yeah it 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 made it really tough and then it got cold for the november yeah right back into the ducks again because you could pattern them yeah yeah that's tough i mean we had i mean we had plenty of hunts where it was just the same thing you couldn't pattern like because we we only guide friday through sunday and so i'd be watching a field of mallards that have like 500 mallards in it which is good for our area but like yeah i would literally watch them for two days they'd be in that same field for two days we'd go hunt it that third day and you'd get like 30 ducks that would come in and it was like all those 30 came right in and then there was just no more ducks and then you get like fucking you get like a hundred of them after light and then they'd start circling around and i'm like where the fuck did all these 300 other fucking mallards go well and you guys have that issue you have to stop right at sunset that would drive me nuts in the afternoon because we get that we get to go a half hour after oh my god you lucky bastard. You lucky bastard. <laughs> yeah, that was the biggest thing. Like, like guys are talking about ducks and like they don't want to hunt afternoons. And then I really clicked when I figured when I learned that you guys have to stop it at right at the sunset. And I'm like, oh, gee, no wonder nobody wants to shoot ducks in the afternoon. <laughs> oh, it just terrible. starts getting good. Yeah, it's terrible. Like you'll go sit out there and you'll get your however many ducks that want to come play, and then it's like I swear to God, right as sunset hits, they all the fucking, alarm goes off. Yeah. yeah, they all come, and I'm like, "This is great!" And guys are just sitting there watching them. I'm like, "Yeah, that's it. <laughs> we can't shoot those." Well, and that's so. And I think a lot of that, like you know, I'm not, I don't know the reason, uh, but in my head, the reason would be because a lot of guys in the states hot water. 
Yeah. So it's a safety thing. Get off the water, give you a little bit of light to get off the water. Yeah. Whereas us, field. Yeah. So it's not as big of a deal, but yeah, I just know, man, man, I go, I would be shooting ducks. Like I said, I wouldn't want to shoot anything in the afternoon, but especially ducks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's terrible. I mean, afternoon hunting can be phenomenal. Like, I love shooting ducks in the afternoon more than anything. Like, if I can get on a good feed in the afternoon, and I feel like ducks generally play better in the afternoon where we hunt them. And so I love getting after them in the afternoon, but then there's always that like slight chance in your head. You're like, ah, uh, they're going to fuck you at sunset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and in my head, I'm like, I, like I'm just starting to fall in love with afternoon hunts. Like I'm, I've, I did a bunch this fall. Um, and then I'm going to try it this spring with snow geese. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm starting to see the value in an afternoon hunt doesn't give them a night to reset it does yeah. like there's it's still very much threat they haven't slept it's very fresh in their head yeah uh and they're not getting you know for that afternoon feed they're not getting up in the dark yeah um so I, but i still get wigged out where i'm like man i'm i'm chasing the sunset opposed to in the morning i got all day to shoot them i don't have to yeah. worry about the clock yeah. so it's hard for me but i can only yeah i can only imagine for you guys i'd be going nuts oh yeah. man <laughs> just, just give me a double double in the morning and I'm uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's tough and i mean i can see like the point you made i mean everybody fucking hunts water like in minnesota everybody hunts water i and that's like partially the reason because they moved our duck season to close a week earlier so then our split was shortened yeah so splits usually two weeks in October and we could hunt until the first week of December, but now they moved it to the last weekend of November, but then shortened it to a five day split instead of a two week split. And I'm like, what are we doing? But yeah. they also did like a survey on and whatever, but like, that's the thing. It's just, everybody hunts water. And I'd say like, I'd legitimately say probably 60% or more of Minnesotans that hunt waterfall have never hunted a field. And it's just because Wild. they, they just don't like, they're so used to, you know, hunting their same spots day in and day out. Yeah. And they don't want to go scout. They don't want to go, they don't want to go talk to people. Like the amount of people yeah. talk to that. They're just like, what do you even say when you ask a farmer for permission? Like, they just don't they just don't know what to do and so they just go hunt the same water that they always hunt and then when it they want to go shoot them like when they can and so when water freezes up late november then they can't hunt anymore they're like well why do we even have a fucking season that goes till december if we can't hunt them on the water and it's like no go hunt them in fields like that's like that's the best time you can hunt them the rivers are still open. The creeks are still open. I mean, the amount of guys that I see on like Facebook groups that are like, yeah, the ducks are all gone in December. And I'm like, dude, have you even like looked at your local river and seen like yeah. hundreds and hundreds of mallards on it? Now, just like once they see ice over the lakes, the ducks are gone. They're, they're head south. It, it, it's that's the one thing that's nice about not a lot of guys on water up here. 
because the downside to guys hunting water too for the field guys it screws up roosts yeah it's like you know, when i was in montana guys would go run a river like you could hear the boats in the morning running the river and all the geese are getting up i'm like what is going on floor <laughs> i'm like why is all these and the the, the guys we were with they're like the, the boats on the river because it was a saturday and i'm like yeah. oh man i don't have like if someone shoots a roost up here yeah and you can hear them typically somebody gets out of the field goes to the truck and drives to the roost and to just tear a strip off of somebody <laughs> and or if it's a young guy like if it's a young kid that's that's just trying to get into waterfowl hunting it's like dude don't do that here's my number yeah Come with us tomorrow or us right now we got yeah. room in a blind we'll just throw you in and we'll see if we can make something out of you screwing us over on the roost yeah <laughs> but like it's that's the nice thing about not having a ton of water hunters is that we just your roosts are generally safe but it's also you guys have refuges down there most water up here is a refuge as it is because guys just don't shoot them yeah yeah so. yeah i mean like all of our stuff like the geese are sitting in city lakes or they're sitting in like shit ponds that nobody can hunt or they're sitting on the river that nobody really hunts because if they're if they're sitting on a pond that somebody can hunt they're going to get shot off but yeah somebody's either going to run up there and jump shoot it or somebody's going to think they can set up on it and go kill all those geese the next morning and it's like what are you doing thanks dude thanks dude you just screwed my aunt for the next yeah. you just be dead that's all area's done thanks <laughs> yeah yeah it's what a, you know what though at the end of the day those guys are getting out yeah you know learning i mean yeah at some point everybody's done a jump shoot somewhere oh yeah and if you, and if you haven't i think you need to right. it's, it's just a part know, of the culture yeah. yeah like i don't know i I see those videos of guys jump shooting snows and I love them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't love on social media because the aunties get a hold of it. But yeah. I watching those videos, I'm like, that's what the conservation season was for. Like, yeah. Oh, just yeah. Try and get it, the numbers down as much as we can. Yeah. And, you know, you're way more successful jumping roosts routinely than you are yeah. field hunting. Now, that said, I, you know, if I'm hunting a field, I don't want someone touching my roost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. It is what it is. It's like you say, it's part of the culture. It's, it's, you go through phases as a waterfowl hunter and, yeah. and that's part of it. Yeah. You live and you learn. That's all you can do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But dude, you got to, so is that your new puppy or is that somebody you're training for? That new puppy? Uh, that new pup. No, it's so, uh, she's at an Oak Lane Retrievers in Saskatchewan and, uh, Christy's the owner of the kennel and her and I co-own the puppy. Okay. Um, so she was initially going to keep her and then she's like, I'm not going to, with her dog, she's like, I'm not going to get to her until she's like a year and a half. Like that's yeah. just too long. Yeah. Um, but she has client dogs. So she had a buyer for her, the buyer backed out and then she was him and Han. So she really wanted to keep her uh, yeah. out of the line, the parents and just what she had kind of seen from previous breedings. Uh, yeah. she knew what she was going to get and she called me well i she posted on social media and i reached out to her because we had already talked about me getting a mail from her okay um she i reached out to her she's like yeah let me sleep on it calls me the next day she goes yeah i think this will let's do this so yeah. we call owner um 
doing great so far, assuming it continues that way and then health yeah. tests and everything clear, she will be uh, part of uh, Oak Lane's breeding program. Okay. And so she'll have, you know, obviously you can't de- de- um, determine when they go into heat, but, you know, we'll make sure that she's not pregnant in the fall. Um, yeah. It'll be, a you know, spring litters. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's where she's at. That's where um, kind of the still backstory on her. She, her parents are both from Scotland, imported from Scotland. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So her demeanor, her like the, the three words I've been using routinely to describe her is calm, quiet, and under control. Yeah. Like she's 16, 17 weeks old. Uh, I've been, she came home at 10 weeks. Christy hadn't done any kennel training with her up until that point. Uh, and I've been sleeping through the night since she was 11 weeks old. Yeah. Um, I can count on one hand, the number of accidents we've had in the house since she was 12 weeks. Yeah. And it's all, it all goes back to me or my wife, just not paying, paying close enough attention. And she's like, yeah. and I teach them to ring a bell, yeah. they run over to a door and ring a bell to tell us they got to go outside. Oh, um, and it's just, you know, us not paying attention or she's, you know, you can tell afterwards she's tried to hit it with her nose and she missed it. She hadn't figured out that she needs to hear the noise to, to confirm. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, she's been, been doing awesome. Uh, clicker training her, kind of going through same idea with what you're doing with yours. Yeah. Um, taking it slow. I'm not rushing it. And, yeah. you know, I have the fortunate, I'm very fortunate in that my wife um, has her PhD in educational psychology. Yeah. Um, and she, her real bread and butter specialty is behavioral, uh, behavioralism and, with kids. Mm. And she is, so I have a, someone who's literally trained to understand and break down behaviors in my ear all the yeah. time. And so when it comes to dogs, it's, it's very, tra- it's transferable between young kids and dogs. Very, like it's seamless almost. And so I always have her in my ear. Or I'm always in her ear asking questions about yeah. like, you know, the, the training methodology. My first dog, I force fetched it. I went through the force fetch program. I went through force plow, all that. Uh, Daisy, which is my, she's not my middle anymore, but she's the second oldest. She is far and away the ace on the team. Like she's my go-to. If I'm going on a hunt, you don't know that dog's there until you call her. Yeah. And she, you know, on that, like snow goose hunt, we shot six snow geese. That's all we shot. And uh, all six counts to six, marks them, no problem. Like, go get them, bring them back. It's seamless. Uh, Nala, she's a project. Um, Daisy and Nala, the two of them, have been very like clicker, treat, positive reinforcement as much as you can. I still think there's, yeah. I, I think you need to be more balanced. I tend to lean more on the positive than. Uh, if yeah if i use the term balance i lean more positive than i do negative um however it's it's um just one of those things that i find you get you get a more a happier dog and yeah. i don't have to stress about an e-collar yeah i don't have to, yeah. did i charge it where's the remote where's the where's this where's that oh they out of range or whatever yeah. right like yeah 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 that's something you have to worry about Exactly. And it's, you know, it's just, I think part of me too, I'm, I'm a little stubborn in that sense. And when I hear guys say that you can't do this with a dog without an e-collar, it's like, okay, I'm going to try and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to, yeah. So I think the hard, the, 
The only thing that's been incredibly difficult for me, one, because I have a really limited window with how cold it gets, similar to you yeah. with water. Yeah. De-cheating. De-cheating, um, probably the most difficult thing to do without an e-collar because it's hard to get that communication. Um, and when you say so de-cheating, I, I don't know what that means yet. I haven't got to that stage yet. So what does that totally mean when you say de-cheating? So the idea is on watermarks, it kind of goes back to your lining. Okay. When you run a blind, you want the straightest line there, straightest line back. Yeah. So same idea, the de-cheating, a dog naturally from the bank because it's fast. Yeah. yeah. So de-cheating is um, the traditional way of doing it is basically you make the land hot. So if the dog gets out of the water and onto the okay. shore, yeah. they get applied, they get pressure from an e-collar. They get a whistle sit, they get a cast back into the water. Yeah. They need to stay wet. Um, it, it's very, so how do you communicate that? And how do you make the, the, the land a no-go when you don't have that pressure? So the way that I have approached it, as opposed to kind of, you know, and, and I think a lot of the force guys still train the same way in the sense that they, if you don't give the dog the opportunity to run the bank, don't teach them they can do that. Yeah. They don't, they, they're less likely to do it. Yeah. So for me, a ton of watermarks, wide open water. They're, they're like, if you want to run the bank, it's going to take you longer to run all the way around and yeah. jump in. And I don't, I also won't throw it close to, like, basically right in the middle of a wide open pond, best way to explain yeah. it. And like I do that and I'll slowly work my way over to the, to the shore. Uh-huh. And now my dogs run off my left side cause I shoot right-handed. Yeah. So I move that bumper to the right. You need to go to the right. If you're a lefty and the dog heels to your right side, then I would say go to the left. And the reason for that is my body acts as a barrier so that dog can't cheat in front of me. They're going to just hit that water and go. Yeah. Um, like a de-cheating process from what I know on the force guys a week, two weeks, and then it's a constant reinforcer after that. And you're constantly revisiting it. Yeah. The way that I do it, man, it's, it takes me the better part of a month to a month and a half to, because I go so slow. Yeah. Plus I, you know, and I, I have to, I have to put all my water work, basically a two month window maybe three like i get june july august yeah and i'm shooting i'm shooting birds in september so my training season's done yeah um it, I, mean, I can still do field stuff before june but typically i try and wait late may early june before i start touching water yeah um so yeah I tr- it's just a lower process and it's one of those things that you constantly when you do water work with them i have to revisit that and constantly remind them yeah. Some dogs, as I've learned, at least with my my three, are more prone to running banks than others. Um, Daisy has never, to this day, knock on wood, uh, really shown a desire to run the bank, even on a pickup. Like, I'll put yeah. the bumper, I'll run a blind to the shore. She'll have to get out of the water, get up on shore, pick it up. She won't even think about running the shore. She'll jump right back in the water and swim back. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, Again, it was I never let her cheat the bank to begin with. Yeah. Because I started I, I 
conditioned to that behavior of go get swim back, go get swim back. Yeah. And, and yeah. So it, it's, uh, cheating is probably to sum all that up. De cheating is probably the most difficult thing that I've, I've run into everything else. Um, when it comes to, I train them. Um, I, I haven't really had, I haven't had moments where I go, I wish I had an e-collar. Yeah. The e-collar would speed it up radically. Um, but as my wife says, and this is like, you know, this is, this is a, she's a, has her doctor. She's a doctor in all of this stuff. And e-collars don't change behavior. They suppress a behavior. Yeah. You take an e-collar off a dog. You're probably going to be good for a couple of days. Dog feel, you know, like you hear that at hunt tests all the time. Yeah. You, You know, I just need to get through this. I'm going to have to spend a few weeks training that back out of them. You don't have that e-collar on them at a hunt test. They know they get collar smart. And it's one of those things that I understand why guys use an e-collar. I'm not bashing on them at all, but just not for me. Yeah. Oh, everybody has their own viewpoint. And I mean, I think a lot of guys think that, I mean, guys that are getting into it, think that like an e-collar is something that you can just teach a command with and it's yeah. not no. it's just basically it's just a leash without having a leash and like you're just kind of you're using that pressure point to teach like to like reinforce something that you want to do you're yeah. not you're not able to teach them off of that you can't just be like okay i want to teach you place by just holding the fucking continuous all the way down until they're there yeah the- and that, yeah, a hundred percent. You can't do that with them. I think the other thing too is, and I've kind of, I've really kind of gotten nerdy when it comes to breeding uh, practices and kind of more so studying and listening to guys that, whether it's podcasts or reading books or articles online or whatever, they, or just talking to them directly, like yeah. in the era of social media, you can reach out to guys. Um, I think it's through the breeding and, and, the, 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 the saying that I had heard on a podcast was that typically the breed goes the way you test. And so traditionally over here, we're seeing more influx of British, but over here it's American labs. And the way the Americans are trained at the field trial level, what's getting passed down is high strung, high energy, because they need that for the test. Yeah. Um, whereas the British side of things, you know, like uh, overseas, uh, I was listening to a podcast and they were saying that even over there, when a dog yawns, you know how sometimes they make a little yeah. squeak when they yawn, that's yeah. a fail. If he does yeah. it at a hunt test, come back yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> and it's like, that's how strict they are in it. And then over there, while they are big on lining, they also are, um, like they, they are allowed to use hunt up whistles. So you can, you can do a hunt up command, which basically is just a tweet, tweet on a whistle yeah. the idea being that you're telling the dog use your nose i don't know and on most blinds when we're hunting we don't know the exact location of where that bird is unless it's a snow goose or a canada clears day we can yeah. see um so it's it that bird fell roughly in that area you know near that rock or near that whatever yeah. you noticed in the field now i'm going to tell the dog use your nose do that hunt up and start making a circle and you can teach the dog to hunt that area with that whistle um, but th- we can't do that in our hunt tests over here. Yeah. We have to handle to the blind. Um, so it's just a difference of 
it's how the breed goes because of the way they're tested. And so obviously then when you're, you know, like force fetch, I understand force fetch, but my question then becomes from a breeding standpoint on that, what, what, um, what, if you're having to force fetch, okay, why? Yeah. So did that dog have an aversion to picking up birds? Did that dog have a hard mouth? Did that dog, you know, whatever, whatever the issue was, yes, the underlying causes to get a, a guaranteed retrieve every time, but you're hiding something typically. Yeah. Yeah. So the puppy's not going to get genetics. The puppy's not going to get the force fetch dog. They're going to get the behavior or the, yeah. hard, the hard mouth or the aversion to picking up whatever. Yeah. That's the behavior, the trait that they're going to get the, the, the parentage. Um, so there's just a lot of stuff that, you know, and I could go on for hours about the dog yeah. side of things. It's just one of those things that use the training method that works best for you and your dog. Yeah. Do some homework on the breed, man. This, this British that I've got, he's got all the firepower in the world. Yeah. 16 weeks, 17 weeks of age. There is a dramatic difference. Like I, you know, in social media, you get clips and videos and stuff like Facebook memories. Yeah. I'm seeing memories from my other dogs at this point, And it's like, man, it's night and day difference. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I mean, I have a buddy that, um, I mean, he just, he buys dogs for his lifestyle. And he's got yeah. three kids and stuff. And so he's like, I'm going to buy a dog. I like to buy British because they're more calm. They have that off switch at home. Like if I want to have my kids go walk the dog, they're five years old. The dog's not going to be pulling them across the yard. And so it's just like, you got to weigh it out on what you really want out of that dog. Is that dog going to be able to turn it off at home? Or is the dog just going to keep rolling around nonstop? And yeah. And that's the, that's the crazy thing. Like the British get such a bad rap. They're like, oh, that dog is slow. That dog don't retrieve. Yeah. They don't like water, whatever the case may be. And initially there was those issues because I mean, at the other end of the day, they're not going to give up the best of the best because yeah. like if you've got a, an unreal dog, you're either going to pay an incredible amount of money to get them over here. And most yeah. people don't have that money. Yeah. Um, but if you do your homework on your breeder and, and the, you know, you, you read the titles, you read the pedigree, um, off switch, man, it's incredible. Like she's 16, 17 weeks of age, she eats her meal. I let my dogs on the couch because I like to pet them. I like to, yeah. you know, that's my personal preference. Again, some guys are different. That's fine. Yeah. She runs to the couch, curls up in a ball, sleep. Yeah. Stop when she needs to pee. Before I feed her, the routine has been established in the evening. She gets to rough house. She plays with my dogs, but like the other three, but it's very like, it's, it's just different. You can yeah. see there's not that, like, there's just not that energy. Yeah. That level of, you know, as you say, that uncontrollability that they just, they don't have full control of themselves. Yeah. And even little things like I make them, I make her sit before we go outside, before we yeah. come inside, before we feed her, yeah. utilize all of those opportunities. And my other ones, I've got videos where my other ones, like you can see them vibrating, sitting there at 16 weeks of age, waiting for their food. Cause it's just the most exciting thing in the world. Yeah. 
which yeah. is fine, but she's got the control to not need to vibrate. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about how you want a dog to fit into your lifestyle. hundred percent. And you know what? Like if you're, if you're a guide and I mean, your dog is going to be sitting like outside in like a enclosed area and they're high strung all the time. Like that's one thing. Like that's a great dog for you because you can go do whatever. You never have to pay attention. It's in his kennel, whatever it is. You go hunt with it. It's hunting all the time. Always wants to hunt. You want a family dog. You want a calm dog that's going to come home, relax, but then it goes out to the field and kills it. It's just, you got to do your research on what kind of dog fits your environment. And, and I think that's the other thing. Like, I mean, I, I, guys don't, I feel like they don't think that through enough when they, yeah. when they pick up a dog. Um, I've had some guys that have sent me some messages, you know, what do you think of this pedigree? What do you think of this pedigree? It's, Man, that's a, that's a hot dog. Like yeah. just, you know, they're grandmaster national titles all throughout the pedigree. There's field trial, you know, winners or field trial qualifying throughout the pedigree. And it's like, you hunt, like you hunt weekends. Yeah. You know, you might hunt eight, nine, 10 days out of the season. Yeah. The rest of the time that dog's sitting at home with you. Yeah. For a, several months out of the year, you can't train. You can't do anything in terms of marks and blinds. You can do obedient stuff. Yeah. But you really can't do much. You've got kids. You've got a job, a career, a wife. Like, and you got a lot of stuff on your plate. That yeah. dog, that's a, that's a lot of dogs. You yeah. sure that's what you want? And it's it just, it, which is fair. You look at the pedigree. Yeah, it's a, that's a well-accomplished pedigree. There's a yeah. lot of great traits that are, you're going to get in that. But you have to think, like you said, that high strung. And then sure enough, they get a dog, they're messaging like, man, this dog's just like, it's whiny, it's vocal or it's pulling or it's just doesn't stop. And it's like, yeah. you know, it, it's running my kids over or whatever the case is. It's like, look at the pedigree. Yeah. Oh, exactly. you, you know, you know, and it's, yeah, I think it's important that guys really evaluate what they want that dog's going to spend the majority of its life with you. The majority yeah. of duck hunters not hunting 60, 90, 120 days out of the year. No. They're not a guide. You're going to hunt if, you know, if you're down in Arkansas, down south somewhere, or even where you're at. Like like you said, freezes up November, they're done. They're going to shoot, they're going to shoot deer. Yeah. Exactly. So you got a month, you got a month and a half, two months. Can't you're not hunting every day. Most people yeah. don't. You don't need a fired up dog all the time, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's so I, I think you're starting to see, at least on my end, and I mean, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm starting to see more and more and more guys transitioning or switching over to British. And then further yeah. with that, going to the positive, more positive reinforcement training, it seems like. Yeah. Oh, I would uh, 100% agree with you because. I mean, my dog, she's half British, half American. Yep. And like, she's got all the drive in the world, but she's also really good, like in the house. Like she can yeah. just hang out when she wants to. She's got her little energy spurts that happen, but like, it's not the end of the world. And so it's like, she's a great dog for me. When we go out and train, she's ready to go. She's all amped up about it. She wants to go. When you go do retrieving stuff, she's all pumped up. I'll bring her back inside, and then she'll come up and sit on the couch with me. 
that's yeah. a, like that's the that's the British and her is just coming inside and being able to calm down like that. And so you, you don't realize like I mean my my wife says this too. She goes, Man, if you had brought lady home the first time, you wouldn't have had to do very much, if at all, any convincing to get more puppies. Like it just you know, because I'm now sitting at four. Then I you know, yeah. Minnie was the first one and then Daisy was like, you know, Minnie had the the torn ligament. So Daisy wasn't too hard and all I was like pulling teeth. Yeah. And then Lady was like, <laughs> Holy smokes, like <laughs> anyways, but so yeah, if you'd brought lady home first. Like it, yeah, and, and you'd have seven dogs by now. Yeah, oh, hundred <laughs> percent. But guys just don't get it. Like you, you know, you don't, and I didn't fully. Yeah, you actually see it in person. <clears throat> the finished dog, or I, I hate, you know, the quote unquote finished, or or yeah. whatever, and compared next to your average or typical American, and it's like, yeah, holy shit, man. Like it, it, the term that I've heard is is the their gentleman the British are a gentleman's gun dog. Yeah. They deserve every bit of that title. Oh, in 100%. my opinion. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it, what they do over there with their trials is just a whole nother world compared to like what we have going on over here. Like you were talking well, about. And yeah. They're using live birds. Like it's the crazy thing is, is like here, the honor is a big deal. Yeah. This honoring is important. But over there, the, the dogs are literally walking at a heel in a line. Yeah. They'll flush a bird. They're live birds. They're shooting live flyers. There could be seven, ten dogs all in a line in a heel with their handlers. They all, they're all honoring. And that yeah. one dog, dog one, may not run for 12 or 13 times. Like, yeah. Shot. And he's got to honor the whole way through. Yeah. You know, you, the, one, the one podcast that I'm thinking of, he, they referenced and they, they said it, the equivalent is like taking. It's like taking an uh, American football player and asking them to play rugby or vice versa. They're a heck of an athlete and they'll figure it out, but it's two totally separate entities. It's totally separate training. Um, Can they do it? Sure. Yeah. But the rugby player is not going to be, you know, you're not going to get Pat Mahomes out of a rugby player. Yeah. If you take Pat Mahomes and try and put him into rugby, he's going to get his lunch ate. Yeah. So, oh, exactly. but yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I'm with so. you on that. And I, I talked to Barton on my podcast about like the stuff out there as well. And yeah. he's just like, yeah, it's a totally different vibe. I mean, like, even just like the sense of like the people that they have there, like compared to the states, is just like a whole yeah. different scenario. Like, you have to, like, you literally have to, like, I don't know. It's just like, you really like your dog really needs to know what's going on to be a part of that group. Yeah. Yep. It, it, it not to take anything away at all because a master, a master hunter or a grandmaster hunter over here is one heck of a dog. That's a lot of training. That's a lot of effort. I'm not taking away yeah. from that. But when I watch those British trials, even at like the, the lower levels, man, you know, you shoot it's live flyers. You shoot that bird. Say the guy wings it, and that bird's running. That's your bird. Yeah, that bird's running. You got to get your dog on that bird in a hurry. And if that bird, you know, it runs into the next section, you still need to pick that bird up. That's your retrieve. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's so. 
it, like I say, it's different. The, Barton was who I was referencing. Uh, he was on a podcast. And he was talking about rugby. It was his rugby football analogy. Yeah. And yeah, like it's just, it's so different. And it's one of those things that I, I'm glad that I kind of found it and stumbled into it. Yeah. Partly through pushing with my wife when it came to the positive reinforcement and then just, you know, different readings and find cornerstone and, and all that stuff too. And Southern Oak and, yeah. um, but yeah, it, it's one of those things that I think guys need to watch it. Go on YouTube and just look up the IGL, uh, yeah, the IGL and just watch that, watch yeah. what those dogs are doing. And yeah, too many guys knock on the British. I, th- yeah. I think that, I think that crowd's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. I would say um, what I'm hoping can happen over here. And I, I traveled to the States to rip, to do it. I'd love to see British trials over here. Yeah. If, if, if any way possible. Yeah. Um, Cause I think that that would give guys like, you know, like I'm me doing my stuff. Yeah. I'm going to train for the, the hunt tests. I'm going to run the hunt tests, but I find like, the hunt tests are not it's not hunting hrc i haven't ran it i've talked to a lot of guys it's different but the ckc up here your akc yeah um it's not it's not hunting no it's, not it's at all. close there's there's a whole different scenario of just like you can see a hunt dog that's gonna go do great out there but it like it can't go pick up a bird like it just it won't go pick up a bird i was talking to josh stoner yesterday um, down from Stanfield, hunting outfitters, yeah. and he was talking about like we were talking about gun dogs that like come with clients, and he was saying like he's like yeah, I heard this from a guy one time. Dogs not going and picking up birds, and he's like, yeah, the dog doesn't usually do this with bumpers, and he's like, yeah, no shit, <laughs> this is a live bird. He's like, yeah. he's like yeah, you like in the in the trial runs or whatever, like the hunt test. I mean, he never does this with bumpers. He's like, yeah, this is a whole different hunting scenario. Like yeah. the dog, the dog has no idea what's going on. He doesn't understand. Like that's a live bird compared to a bumper. Like he just, he's not been put in that scenario. Well, and you know, the other thing that kills me on the hunt test stuff, like everything has to be exact. And I get it. There's a standard. They're going to throw their marks. They're going to do their wingers or have their bird boys throw the stuff, yeah. which is great. Um, watching some of these dogs that are running, you know, like in my opinion, in the CKC, AKC, senior dogs are fantastic. That is one heck of a hunting dog. If you can yeah. get to a senior title with your dog, that is one hell of a hunting dog. Yeah. Um, master, I find there are great hunting dogs that have master titles, but I think there's far more of them, in my opinion, that would lose their absolute shit. A flock of mallards, a flock of Canada's, a big flock of snows yeah. coming into the decoys, they would lose their marbles because they wouldn't be able. They, they're just so jacked, so amped. Yeah, they've never seen it before. Um, you know, and like on the master level, they got to count to three. You drop a bunch of. You're on a hunt with you know unplugged guns. Yeah, with ten guys in the blind, and you decoy some snows that's a lot of birds and well you don't need to count them all but that's yeah. just there's so much chaos whereas in a hunt test it's quiet um you know the gallery's quiet yeah. and it's so controlled yeah i just 
you know, I, I watch a lot of those tests at the master level. And I'm like, man, that is a really nice dog. Well done. I would not want to hunt over that dog. Yeah. Well, it's so. like the same thing. Like when you're training a dog, if you're going to train your dog in your backyard 60 days out of the year and yeah. that's all it knows, it's quiet back there, whatever it is. And then you go to the park and you want to train it there. It's going to have oh. a whole different environment and it's going to be like, well, I want to go sniff this. I want to go sniff that. There's people running over there. There's dogs over there. Like, I don't even want, like, I want to go check everything out. Like, yeah. and it's the same thing. It's exactly. And it, it, you know, and that kind of goes back to the, the, the fundamentals of on the positive side of things is it's a repetition, continue to do the behavior, get the desired response and then go do it in a bunch of different places. Yeah. And one thing I, I really make an effort to do in August is I kind of switch, you know, I'm, I'm hunt test and I'm just training, tightening up lines that got sloppy during hunting season and stuff like that. Steadiness. And while the dogs need to be steady, you might get that one or two step. Yeah. Get further and further into the hunting season, especially when I was guiding. That was a big one. Yeah. Um, and so you just, you're kind of working through all that, backing up on that. Um, but once we hit August, August it's it's hunt time. We're we're setting up decoys every time. I've got some I've got some uh, dummy launchers. I'm saving some pennies up to get some uh, zinger wingers. Yeah. Um, and it's you know I, to the point I'm out there with a flag. I'm flagging. I'm calling. Um, I've got a starter pistol. I just a buddy of mine. He works uh, for Kent, where he sells Kent. He picked up poppers for me, so I'm going to be running poppers this summer. Yeah. Um. We're full on into hunt, get ready to hunt to the point that I'm going out to whatever harvested fields there may might be. Yeah. And I'm training in hot, like I'm training this year. We was incredibly early. I was in cut wheat this year. Usually it's peas. Yeah. I was in cut wheat this year uh, in, in August training with decoys and everything. And it's my dogs are so used to by the time hunting season rolls around, they have been exposed to a, so many different areas, baseball fields pasture fields the yeah. backyard all these different areas that guys sometimes aren't able to do that yeah time commitments with locations leases whatever but yeah. if you can take that dog everywhere yeah because like you say it, you know you take the dog to the park and they're gonna go nuts yeah no exactly that's i feel like that's probably the biggest thing that people like like don't recognize is just training in other areas they just like they want to just yeah. keep training outside their house because it's easy you can go in the backyard your place yep. board's already out there you do all your stuff out there you walk back inside you're good and then your dog gets to another area and it's like nope i don't like i don't know this area i want to go look around yeah and it's just in how that dog learns and how dogs in general learn um it, you know and that's that's the nerdy side of you can deep dive into that and how a dog actually learns yeah um but you're right it, it's one of those things that just have to expose them to a bunch of different areas it's just as important as it is to, to do that at the later stages of life as it is to socialize that puppy yeah you know once once you're clear with shots and stuff and you're you, you know you're on your third shot you're clear on that parvo start taking them go to play go to anywhere that you can go allows you to take uh dogs in whether it's a bass pro or a cabela's yeah. or you know whatever rogers wherever you can take them yeah. take them oh 100 
same thing on the training and, and hold that same standard. Like, you know, when I take one of my older dogs, I'll still take them into, we have Canadian tire up here and they allow dogs in there and I'll take them in there. But I have that same standard. You, you sit when we go through a door, you heal with me the entire time we're walking through that store. If you want someone to pet you, they'll ask, you know, can I pet them? Yeah. Just one second. I make them sit. Then I release them. They can go get loved on and pet. Like, Hold that standard. People will appreciate that, if, um, and they'll respect that too when you're in that store. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah. And that's just another like great thing because there's just so much going on in those stores. There's oh. so much commotion. The carts, people. Another thing that I learned to do with a puppy, and you need to be very careful and watch the puppy. And I don't get too close. Go to a, a truck stop. Yeah. When the Go, you know, don't walk right beside them because you'll get that air when the air brakes bleed off and you'll get that pop. Yeah. And then you'll scare them. But if you go to a, a truck stop and you walk around, all those trucks are idling, you'll get air brakes. You know, the airlines will pop because they're just releasing all the excess air and yeah. stuff. You're conditioning them, you know, take some treats, do some training, find an area in there that's safe for you and the dog. Yeah. Um, put a leash on if you need to. Um, do some place work. Do some basic healing in that general area. Yeah. You're working near that noise. That's help you down the road when you go through your gun conditioning. But it's also, it's a new environment. Insane smells. Usually there's, you know, greasy food there, gas yeah. station food, whatever. There's all kinds of sensory overload with the noise, the trucks moving, people coming in and out. Um great spot to go to do some training and and try to socialize and it's yeah take them there when they're older too like yeah 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 it's never too late to go socialize them anywhere it's always never stop yeah because i mean especially like with us and guiding i mean you're gonna have new people in the blind every time and so it's like you got to realize that there's new people here and we're doing the same job every time and so you can't get distracted by all those new faces or whatever it is, the new things that people bring or whatever, whatever happens. You just, you're there to do your job. Like you were saying, you sit them when they go in, you heal them the entire time. And then it's, they do that every time. And, and that's, that's something that you can do that, that the biggest thing I find in the dog world is like, it's the steadiness. And that's a whole other conversation with guys not steadying their dogs, but to help, on the steadiness is is a place like a truck stop that there's noise there's a smell sense you know there's sensory overload on the smell there's people put them on a place stand just make them sit work through that work through the issues that arise put them back shorten your sessions you know don't overload it in the beginning if you have a dog that tends to get overexcited and creep and do their thing and build it out to the point you know you've got all summer Build it out to the point yeah. now where you can throw a bumper out there. Work through the summer to throw a bumper, and that dog is still steady yeah. when you throw that bumper. Um, you know, or, or when you go to Bass Pro, <laughs> typically when you walk in there, they always ask to give a milk cookie or whatever to the dog. And it's like, yeah, but she needs to sit for it. Because I always ask a treat, like, a, do they do a trick, shake a yeah. ball? I'm like, no, they don't do that. Make them sit <laughs> and make them wait. You know, count to five. Just, uh, yeah. yeah. So. That's the best thing is when people are like, can your dog shake? And I'm like, I I could give two less shits about if my dog shakes or not. <laughs> like, that's can the your last dog shake thing. A ball? Yeah. 
No, but they can go. They can go chase down a crippled giant. That, yeah, and put the boots to a crippled giant at a hundred yards. <laughs> oh, like, oh, it's so funny. I I love when people like try to ask about that. I'm like, no, I I can I could care less. <laughs> my, yeah, like it's like we have, my wife's got a little Yorkie Shih Tzu, and I'm like, teach that thing all the tricks you want. So she's got like one paw, two paw, left paw, right paw dance party like all this different stuff she's got taught this thing and i'm like it all out on him because i don't do it to these guys because yeah. the last thing i need is them just starting to do circles because they think they're like oh uh, yeah yeah i hear you on that but what's what's some of the stuff you're working on right now with lady uh so right now um so I, i've been posting videos for the guys that are listening i've been posting them with a follow on the dive bomb stuff yeah, you've been doing an um, awesome job of that. Yeah, she's so I've done up to week two with her. I'm actually about four weeks ahead. I wanted I knew I had the sportsman show, so there was gonna be a break. Yeah. And then I've got a couple things going on. Um, I think Asher's supposed to be coming up to hunt snow, so we'll see what that looks like in the week from my, you know, how much can I get training in when she's when he's here. Yeah. Um and I just wanted to make sure that if I had issues arise, could I didn't feel pressured to have a video ready to go that week that I, it gave me time not only to show um, the people how to work through it, but to explain yeah. kind of what my process was and what worked and what didn't. Yeah. Um, so right now with her, uh, we're, we've, we're pretty much, we're, we're wrapping up this week. We're wrapping up healing off lead. Um, she's comfortable with the lead. I tend to, I don't, I'm fortunate where I am. The only time they really need to wear a leash is if they got to go to the vet. Yeah. Test. Um, so I don't get too bent out of shape about healing on a leash. So I actually will spend another week doing heel work off lead. Yeah. Um, and this is where I start going to different places. So yeah. um, we've been doing it. I've been doing it either here at the house or, you know, like she comes to work and sits in her kennel at the warehouse while I'm working. And, and it's just, Initially, I was bringing her, um, make sure that I got her if she needed a pee, like, yeah. you know, as a, as a puppy. And then two now, my youngest, won't my more, but Nala is a bit of a spaz. And she gets a little bit crazy in the kennel if she's in there too long and there's whining. Yeah. Not so much barking. Um, but I didn't, I, I'm paranoid. I don't think it will, but I'm paranoid that that behavior could rub off on ladies. So I'm just yeah. kind of separating them as much as I can. Yeah um so i'll do a session at like noon i'll take a break have my lunch and, and do a quick training session with her at the office so she's had it in multiple areas already two different areas yeah. so this week um i'll before work i'll go to canadian tire and we'll do heel work around inside the building as it starts to warm up we'll go to this next week's gonna be nice uh we'll go to like a a, a park or yeah um you know a, a neighbor's field down the road he's got a field he's seated for grass like i'll go down there it's real short yeah and just kind of mix up different areas of healing because for me healing is really important it's one thing that i find again the, the common trait being americans i find that it's a really difficult healing is probably the most difficult thing to teach a dog sense that a fixed position it's really like they really need to figure out like What's that space? Where where does my head need to be in relation to his leg at all times? Yeah. But that leg keeps moving. That position continues to move. Place easy. 
that's that yeah. board I, or whatever he tells me yeah that's place I, that that's a concrete sit same thing i sit yeah. still down recall is to him um so i really try to focus hard on heel and then the way i do things is i'll do we'll heal i'll get him up on a place board in, intermittently we'll stop that's the other thing we're doing heel and now i want her to sit on my left so when i stop moving you sit um and then i do anywhere from two to three times a week in the training session i'll do about three retrieves with a bumper yeah the whole goal is there's nothing i'm not steadying we're not doing anything it's just i say your name go get it come back and find my hand and just put it in my hand um all i'm doing is just conditioning her go get and come back so that when we get to that point of formalizing a retrieve at six weeks or six months of age I've, i've already got the foundation laid i've already done half the work yeah. yeah so now i just need to steady so to answer the question we're sitting we're placing and we're healing and we're really taking our time to make sure that we master and understand exactly what's being asked yeah. before we move on i i mean i've kind of already put it in my head um that she's not going to hunt this fall and i i don't want to rush her i yeah. have three other dogs i can hunt i don't yeah. need to rush this one um so it's really just I want you to understand what we're doing every step of the way. And I, you know, Barton says it. I've heard plenty of other guys say it as well. 90% of retriever issues are obedience issues. Yeah. And I want to make sure that we do not have an obedience issue. Yeah. Um, I'd love to be able to use her to take her into the schools and stuff. So do that. And the obedience needs to be immaculate. So take it slow. Um, You know, I get a little bit of flack on there from time to time with guys that are, whether it's, you know, treats don't work or this, that, or the other thing. And that's fine. And I'm sure I'll get flack, um, you know, because it's taking longer, it's going slower, whatever. But to me, so many guys rush. They rush it because they want to get to the end goal instead of enjoying that process. And, you know, for anybody listening that's training a dog, I get it. You want to hunt them year one. I've been there. I understand it. I can tell you from experience that while it's good for them to pick up birds, I mean, the earliest, theoretically, for us is nine months. Because usually if they come home around January, they're nine months of age by September 1 or September 8. Um, Too many things can go sideways. You're not fully confident running blinds in terms of handling everything else um you know lots lots of birds falling there's just so many things that can go wrong finish the training make sure that that dog can do everything that you would ever need it to do in a training situation then go home yeah yeah so would you say if you didn't have your other dogs would you say that you would take the same um pace with lady or would you maybe try to hunt her this upcoming year if you didn't have your other dogs if i didn't have my other dogs i wouldn't in short yes because i wouldn't know what i know now yeah yeah uh, yeah i it, i wouldn't know now it's easy for me to sit here and say to you well if i got to retain the information but still didn't have the other three whether it was injury or whatever yeah. would i still hunt her it's easy for me to sit here and say well no yeah um I'm fortunate in that a lot of my friends that I hunt with have dogs as well. 
And while it's important to me to hunt my dogs, I'm, I'm honestly to the point now where I just, I don't, I don't want to hunt without a hunt that there isn't a dog. Yeah. It just adds so much to the hunt for me personally, um, just to watch them work and the joy that they're doing. But yeah, if I didn't have my dogs and I didn't know what I know now, listening to those, you know, the podcasts and the guys out there that are, don't hunt your dog, don't hurt your dog. I probably roll my eyes a little bit too and be like, oh yeah, easy for you to say you got all these dogs to hunt with. Yeah. But honestly, I can't, you know, being where I am now, I can't stress the importance of park the dog year one. Yeah. Make sure it, I mean, shit, at nine months, 10 months, 11 months age, there's still a baby. Yeah. You know, goes back to our conversation with the master hunters. Like, you think a master hunter who's seen a whole lot more and been trained, he's going to lose his mind. What do you think a little pup's going to do? Yeah. Right? Like, you know, so, or the other side of that, unfortunately, for some of the guys that have crap seasons, the dog's going to sit on that place board. He's not going to see a duck. It's not even like, it's just going to lose interest in what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, because that's the thing that I've been running into. It's like, because my dog be 11 months. Yeah, it'll be 11 months when our season starts. And I'm like, I really want to run the dog. Also, she needs to be where I want her to be yeah. to run her. Because that's if I would run her, she needs to be right where I want to be. But at the same time, I'm like, do I wait a little bit? And hold off on it because that's like it's the struggle of like it's my first dog and it's like yeah. i want to i just want to get her out there hunt with me but then at the same time it's like she is only 11 months old and like everybody's different every dog is different the, the kind of the way and that that's why it was really hard for me to answer that question the way that i have approach my training has changed so much with each dog that has come home yeah um but the the kind of the question and kind of where i go the way that my training philosophy or my focus every time i do something when i do a behavior when i'm teaching something or i'm not teaching something if i'm just outside doing it you know they're running around in the yard or i'm taking for a walk yeah what are the positive, what are the pros and what are the cons that are going to come out of this? Yeah. So when I look at hunting a dog at 9, 10, 11, 12 months of age, pros, I get them on birds. Yeah. I get them to understand the game. I get them to understand what the, you know, the light bulb is going to go off. They're going to figure out, okay, get, this is what's missing. This is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. All very important things. Cons, I'm probably going to create a little bit of overexcitement guaranteed yeah i'm gonna potentially more than likely run into steadiness issues and or i'm gonna have to use a lot of force for corrections yeah with an e-caller uh to correct that steadiness three how many birds has she picked up in training like actual you know dead save ducks which guys save them that's great but now she's picking up warm warm ducks has she had that opportunity yet because yeah. at during the summer, she was too young to take her on a pigeon hunt or a dove hunt. Yeah. Um, what happens if I have to run a blind? Yeah. I haven't, my handling's not dialed in. Yeah. Well, then I don't run that blind. That's fine. What if it's a cripple that's running? 
now as a hunter, I have that ethical obligation. And so the argument back I've had is, well, if I didn't have the dog, I'd still have it. Yes. But you now it's one extra safety thing. You've got to worry about, you got to, you're training, you go take off, run after that bird with a gun to dispatch it. And that dog breaks out of that blind. Yeah. Well, you, you now can't focus on the, the bird. You need to correct your dog. Um, and the other thing is the guys, guys can't put the gun down. Yeah. That first, that first season, put the gun away. Oh yeah. And you know, as a guide, it's a little easy. It's a lot easier. Yeah. But the other side of that, from a guide's perspective, you're going to throw her in there. And you know, if you've got six, seven, eight clients, yeah, that's a lot of banging. That's a yeah. lot of birds. That's a over excitement. So what negatives could come from that versus the positives? And while the positives are important, the cons outweigh the pros every yeah. time in a lot of those situations. Yeah. Now what's now same idea. Let's look at it. If we wait and I sit her. So now she'll be almost two. If we wait till next fall, the following fall. So 2023 Yeah. cons or pros, she's completely done all of her training. You've exposed her to Pretty much every situation short of actually hunting. You could take her pigeon hunting or dove hunting. Yeah. Um, Maybe do some spring snow goose stuff. Do some spring snow goose. Um, she's running blinds. She's handling. She's, you know, you've done your de cheating or you've worked through that. You've done your water work. Um, that dog is ready. You know, that dog, maybe you'd played a few hunt test games over the summer. So now yeah. you've, maybe you put a junior title on her and started into seniors. That dog is ready. That dog has fundamental understanding of everything that you could throw at it in a hunting situation. Yeah. It's heard plenty of guns go off, whether it's single guns or at hunt test. If you go run a hunt test or get together with training groups, and it has the most importantly, in my opinion, it has the emotional intelligence, the mental, like the mental ability to, uh, to be able to comprehend what's happening like they can regulate right it's that calm quiet under control yeah they have a better they have the better ability to regulate their emotions a little bit more than as a young puppy cons you didn't get your dog out hunting right away you for all intents and purposes you lost a season hunting with your dog unfortunately they don't live near as long as they should yeah so you have lost that season Realistically, what other, you know, guys will argue, well, drive, prey drive, buy a pigeon, pull its, you know, buy, yeah. that's the big thing I do, buy carrier pigeons off. Uh, oh, yeah, that's Facebook what I, market yeah. Place and stuff. yeah, yeah, so you can expose them and still do all that. The big thing for me is you, you lose the season. That's the main con I yeah. find you, you lose that season. Um, and I feel like that's the like hardest thing for people to get over is losing. Yeah, but so. Conversely to that, you take her out year one, she breaks. And, you know, you if you're not using an e-collar or maybe you are, but you don't have the settings right or it's not turned on or whatever, yeah. or maybe it is and she still runs through the, the shock and gets to that bird. You are going to spend the rest of your life dealing with that because she has just learned or he has just learned that I still get that reward if I break. Yeah. I'm not supposed to, but oh my God, I got that reward. Yeah. So, lifelong issue that what and that again it could happen at two years of age, absolutely. But the odds of it are substantially less because you've had more training. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, for, yeah, for me, knowing what I know now, it is not worth it to hunt them that first year. And arguably for me, like with Lady going into year two, she's going to spend a good chunk of her time sitting in a blind watching a hunt. Yeah. And not picking up a bird because I want it. My guys are steady, but there's just that excitement. You can see that they're just yeah. waiting on every single word you move. They're just waiting to go. And I'm, yeah. I love it. I love yeah. the excitement. You're teetering real close on that edge. Yeah. So she's going to sit and she's going to watch and she's going to learn real quick that not everything that falls is hers. In fact, most of it is not. Yeah. And, you know, she'll watch either Daisy run or one of my buddy's dogs go pick up. Yeah. Just hang out, learn to count, learn to watch, learn to learn the game without overdrive of retrieving. Yeah. By the end of the season, she will be retrieving. Yeah. I'm assuming that she's steady and hangs tight and relaxes. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's for anybody listening, yourself included, especially if you're going to be guiding, park the dog as yeah. much as that sucks. And I know it does. Yeah. Um, God willing, you get 10 good years of hunting out of them. 10 years. You don't want eight to 10 years of trying to deal with, fix a problem that arose in the first year or going, shit, I wish I hadn't done that. Yeah. Whatever reason. Um, and in the grand scheme of the entire time, you won't remember, in my opinion, anyway, you won't remember that first year the same way that you'll remember issues with that dog, whether it was whining or barking or creeping or breaking period or anything. Yeah. You'll remember that forever. Like, shit, that dog always broke or that dog whined when we shot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, again, Everybody's different. Yeah. Works best for you and your dog. But in my opinion, and the way that I am going to be doing things going forward, my dog sit here one. Yeah. 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 yeah no, that, cause yeah, that's been the struggle that I've had. And it's like, yeah, it'd be great to bring my dog out the first year. Would love it. Yeah. I just want to get her out 100%. Then it's like, there's so many bad habits that be, could be created that first year. Yeah. that if she just waits and like you said like maybe like bring her out towards the end of the season just have her sit and do all that stuff get some snow goose hunting in that next spring like yeah get all that kind of worked out figure out where she's at figure out everything that she needs to do is there before we take her and really start hunting with her that's like the yeah. big thing and like you were saying too um like putting the gun down because yes. if if i if i'm going to run my dog especially on a guy's hunt i'm not going to bring my gun there's no reason for me to bring my gun like no. if i have a dog out there like i love shooting don't get me wrong but if i'm going to be guiding seven other clients i got to be focused on birds i got to be focused on them and then i got to also be focused on my dog so yep. adding shooting is just one more thing i got to worry about yeah you gotta you gotta handle a gun you gotta worry about that i mean up here guiding in canada guides can't shoot i know in the yeah. states you guys can but you're right like it's it's one of those things that's like man let the clients shoot the bird and yeah. i'm gonna run the dog i'm gonna make sure everybody's safe i'm gonna make sure that we're not going over our limits yeah and everybody's having a good time but 
that's the biggest thing. And I get it. Guys that don't get out of time, like you only get so many days a year to go hunt. You want to shoot your birds. Yeah. Focus on the dog. Pay attention to the dog. Take some buddies. Let them shoot. Yeah. And that way you can be, you, you are so focused on that dog. It's all about the dog getting success. And I mean, everybody listening and you've heard it too. Like everybody beats that into everybody. Don't shoot. Don't shoot the first season. And it's, it's true. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, even like, uh, my family has a golden and he's a phenomenal pheasant dog. Like yeah. he's, he's just a beast and I could go out there and just walk with him. And I would never even need to bring a gun. Just watching him. is just like, I just, yeah. I just love it so much. I don't, I, I could give two less shits if I bring a gun out or not just watching him work the field. And that's like the same thing with her is like just going out there and watching her being able to do what she does and all the time that we've put in and then like finally see it happen. Like that's going to outweigh shooting more than anything. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's, you know, my new thing that I've started to fall in love with late this season is photography. I, I, yeah, uh, ended up picking up a, a Nikon and, and a seventy by two hundred, and you know it's between watching the dog and running a camera. Man, I could care less if I ever pull that trigger again. Don't yeah. get me wrong; I love shooting yeah. them, love killing them. But if you told me that I couldn't, all I could do is run my dog and run a camera. Yeah, where do I sign? Yeah. Where do I sign? Like it's, and I just find a find that you you. You start to appreciate the hunt. Yeah. Appreciate the animals that you're pursuing and everything else, the behind the scenes, you start to really, you notice it. You start yeah. to notice all that stuff more. And it's like, this just adds so much value to the hunt. Like, I mean, those six snow geese that we shot, you'd have thought we won a Super Bowl. <laughs> like, we were so jacked. We were so excited. They're first birds of the brand new year. Like, but it's one of those things that, for all of us and we've all you know we've all taken turns whether it's running dogs or running camera or just sitting back and watching other getting new people out hunting and just watching them helping them yeah there's so much value added to doing that and you know you, you're not only are you going to make your dog better by parking your gun you very well may understand and, and fall further in love with waterfowl hunting yeah. uh if you do it so oh exactly i mean even the first time i grabbed my camera and started using it's like it's like a whole different world just like yeah. watching them behind the lens and like capturing that moment and then just like really realizing like what it's all about is just yeah. it's just way different it's so hard for me to put the camera down the last birds of the season in 2021 um and i have the picture I got the picture I wanted. I got eight cupped up Canada's coming right in. They're yeah. like trying to land at like 20 yards over the decoys. And my buddy's like, are you shooting? Are you shooting? And I literally were laying down on, on backboards. And I took the show. I took the camera, took the picture and dropped the camera on my lap and picked up my gun and cranked the last bird. And it was like, if I waited a split second longer, that bird was gone. Yeah. He was, he was home free. And the guys are looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, camera. And I got this. They're like, yeah. <laughs> that's the shot I wanted. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, dude. Yeah. I totally so. feel you on that. And I, 
I don't want to keep you too much longer because we're kind of running on time. Um, we're about to hit two hours, but man, I appreciate it. That was so Anytime, much fun. buddy. This is fun. I, you know what? I love it. It's, I enjoy just talking with guys, like-minded guys that love it all together and, you know, love every part of it. Dogs, hunting, photography, yeah. whatever it is. You can't beat it. We're going to have to do another one once, uh, your snow goose winds down and some more dog training yeah. hits and start BSing about, uh, what goes on in the summer. Yeah, let's do it, buddy. All right, brother. I appreciate you jumping on again. No problem, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right, we'll see you.